Blog Talk Radio.
Greetings, this is Abayomi Azikawe, and welcome back uh, to another edition of the Pan-African Journal. The Pan-African Journal is an audio news magazine. It's brought to you here on a weekly basis. Uh, I am your host, Abayomi Azikawe. Uh, Today is Sunday, uh, January the 23rd, 2022. Uh, We're broadcasting live uh, from our studios in uh, downtown Detroit. I would like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in. Uh, once again, uh, to another edition of our program. Later on, uh, we'll be coming up uh, with our regular Pan-African Newswire report. Uh, we'll have uh, dispatches on how the struggle against colonialism and for Pan-Africanism merge historically. Sudan can only achieve peace in the aftermath of the removal of the military junta. The military regime in Mali has held a state funeral for the ousted president overthrown and a coup during 2020. And Senegal is holding its local governmental elections in the West African state. In the second hour, we pay tribute to the legendary Paul Robeson on the 46th anniversary of his transition. And finally, we review some of the most pressing and burning issues taking place in Africa and around the world. These and other features will be brought to you uh, during the course of our program. So stay tuned. Uh, We'll take a musical interlude uh, with Papa Weber. Uh, from Somo Troupe Viva La Musica uh, from 2003. Let's listen in. <laughs> Il y a qu'un seul Dieu qui règne dans les cieux. 
pacha de tembo Et couloir, bon de fondre toujours Mboata ko mboata Victoria est certa Kasi
Evangelii, ya catolice, misiuni, eglise chimbanistă, pe valongul pena bima, la ba grup de prieră, la ba ministeri evangelice. Tous ensemble, prions le Seigneur. La parole maudit, maudit l'homme qui se confie à l'homme. Tout faire avec le Saintes Écritures et ne rien faire sans elle. Bande koto kumisaye, to kumisayawe, kamba monene. Shuba el shada. Bakrito bako benga esambi lulungu. Bakristo Babenga ka l'Éternel des armées au Père Céleste, Alpha Omega, Dieu Tout-Puissant, Dieu le Père. Yahweh, Atami Somangai Mamoni Yote, Kati Yemoni Bokati Boyom. Alléluia.
Pena, pues no 
Carmela Aragari uh, disclosed in a press conference she gave her gave in Ethiopia yesterday. Carmela, known for being one of the initiators of the hashtag No More movement, uh, said uh, that there uh, is a great commitment and desire to strengthen and expand the activity to other issues of national importance. Accordingly, uh, various activities are underway to this end. Uh, the No More Movement conversation has also moved to other economic development matters, and they have paramount importance in changing the livelihood of the public. And uh, in Sudan, uh, developments are moving rapidly uh, inside the country. Sudanese security forces yesterday arrested a woman's rights activist as part of their efforts to clamp down on a three-month anti-coup demonstration. Amira Usman, a chairperson of the No to Women's Oppression Group, was arrested uh, from her home at about 11.30 uh, when some 30 security agents raided their apartment in the Rehide neighborhood. In a statement issued uh, earlier today, uh, the women's rights group said they ignore uh, her, her whereabouts. They did not know about her whereabouts and the identity of the force that arrested her. Uh, after the military coup on of October 25th, uh, General Abdel Fattah al-Bahan issued an order giving the security forces the right to arrest political opponents as part of a series of decisions to consolidate his power. He also appointed an Islamist at the head of the General Intelligence Service who established all, all the banned practices of the former regime. Recently, the security forces arrested active members of the Resistance Committee uh, the spearhead of the anti-coup demonstrations. Also, they targeted protest leaders. Many of the youth uh, played a role in the organization of anti-coup demonstrations. Usman had been arrested several times by the disbanded NISS for political activities hostile uh, to uh, the regime or for indecent, immoral dress. You're listening to uh, the Pan-African Newswire segment of the Pan-African Journal. In Mali, um, thousands of people gathered at the former president's residence in Bamako to pay their last respects. Mali held a state ceremony on Friday for former President Ibrahim Boubacar Keita, who was ousted in a 2020 coup, uh, and he, of course, died last week. Interim Prime Minister Miguel Kokala Maiga attended the ceremony in a military camp in the Sahel state's capital of Bamako, where the ex-leader's coffin was draped in the Malian flag. Keita's relatives attended, too, as well as former Malian Prime Minister Musa Mata, Guinea's foreign minister, and foreign diplomats in Bamako. Thousands of people also gathered at the former presidential residence in Bamako to pay their respects. Keita, uh, who was uh, elected in a landslide in 2013 and won re-election five years later, died at the age of 76 on Sunday. He is due to be buried at his Bamako residence later on Friday. And uh, finally, a French soldier has died in Mali. The French Defense Ministry announced on Sunday the latest loss coming as Paris ponders whether to stop providing military backup to the hunter-led African country. His death uh, brings to 53 the total number of combat deaths suffered by French troops since they first deployed troops to Mali nine years ago to ostensibly fight an insurgency of Islamic extremists in the north and the central regions of the country. 
The soldier was killed in a salvo of around a dozen artillery rounds fired Saturday at a military base in Gao in the volatile and poverty-wracked Hill region, said a defense ministry statement. Nine others were injured by the rounds, launched five to six kilometers, three to four miles, to the north uh, in an area uh, known to be uh, used by the Al-Qaeda-linked GSIM Islamist insurgent group, a military spokesman said. President Emmanuel Macron, uh, quote, pays tribute to the courage of soldiers on duty in the Sahel and expresses his total confidence in them, said a statement from his office. He confirms France's determination to continue the fight against terrorism in the region alongside his partners, the French president said. And finally, in the West African state of Senegal, uh, voters uh, went to the poll early today uh, to elect local representatives in what many see as a test for President Macky Sall and the opposition. It's the first election in the country since last year's deadly unrest after opposition leader Usman Sonko was arrested. For many, uh, voting in local elections is about solving local issues. It was very important for me to come and do my duty because we are talking about the municipality. So it is up to us to choose someone who is ready to work for the municipality, someone who is ready to accompany us uh, for the next five years, said Amadou Mansour Mbaye, a local elector. Another local elector, Sada Ba, added, I am happy to have voted because it is an act of citizenship and it is up to us to elect mayors to have a clean and well-maintained municipality. Around a third of Senegal's 17 million people are eligible to vote. The poll takes place five months ahead of a general election, uh, the first since Mary Saul was elected in 2019. That uh, we're going to conclude uh, the Pan-African Newswire segment uh, of uh, the Pan-African Journal. And in concluding this segment of our program, we would like to remind our listeners that the Pan-African Newswire is an international electronic press service. It is designed to foster intelligent discussions on the affairs of African people throughout the continent and the world. The press agency was founded in January of 1998, and uh, since then it has published thousands upon thousands of articles and dispatches in numerous newspapers, uh, magazines, journals, research reports, and on blogs and websites throughout the world. The Pan-African Newswire represents the only daily international news source on Pan-African and global affairs. If you'd like to log on to the Pan-African Newswire so you can stay abreast of some of the most pressing and burning issues of the day, just go to our website at panafricannews.blogspot.com. That's panafricannews.blogspot.com. And uh, if you'd like to have access to today's uh, Pan-African Journal, this special worldwide radio broadcast, just go to the Pan-African Radio Network. That's at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. The programs can be shared with other potential listeners uh, by via email, uh, blogs and websites, and social media networks such as Facebook and Twitter. This is Abayomi Azikawe. We'll take a break. We'll be back with more of our program for this week.
Welcome back. And uh, that was uh, the illustrious voice of uh, Brenda Holloway. And how many times did you mean it? And, uh, of course, uh, during this period, we always commemorate the transition of uh, the great uh, eminent artist, uh, actor, vocalist, uh, social scientist, public intellectual, Paul Robeson, singer, uh, who uh, made his transition uh, back uh, during uh, late January of uh, 1976, uh, some 46 years ago. And, of course, uh, Paul Robeson uh, was a Renaissance figure. Uh, He was uh, very well educated, uh, held uh, several degrees, including a law degree, had been an All-American football player. Uh, He went into uh, acting and uh, concert performances and, of course, uh, was very much interested and involved in the Black liberation struggle, the African uh, liberation solidarity struggles, and uh, on the left in general, uh, in solidarity uh, with oppressed people and working people throughout the world. And, of course, after uh, World War II, uh, with the rise of the Cold War and later McCarthyism, Paul Robeson became a target of the United States government, and uh, he, of course, was vilified. He was banned uh, from performing in concert halls around the United States. His passport was confiscated in 1950, and he waged an eight-year struggle. uh, And, of course, his passport was returned to him in 1958. And, of course, um, this next uh, segment is going to focus on uh, Paul Robeson and his contributions. And the first thing we're going to hear is a hearing uh, that was done before the United States Senate in 1948, in which Paul Robeson uh, testified. Of course, they asked him a lot of uh, very, um, very antagonistic and hostile questions. Uh, let's listen in to Paul Robeson speaking before the United States Senate in 1948. Is Mr. Robeson here now? All right, you may take the chair. Will you raise your right hand, please? You do solemnly swear, no matter now pending before this committee, you'll tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God. traveling a good deal about the country on various missions. I'm an artist, a singer, also been in the South and the West, all over helping, singing for certain charitable organizations. And uh, coming to the bill, I see first is to protect the United States against so-called American subversive activities. I presume, since the United States doesn't exist in Abstraction, and it means the people of the United States. That would be more or less all right, wouldn't it? I, I would think so. Yes. Uh, I'll get back to other sections of the bill. It says in the section two, uh, uh, in the second paragraph, that uh, in the question, the question of the necessity for the legislation, that it's uh, uh, necessary uh, to uh, protect, to 
to establish themselves as a totalitarian dictatorship in any country results in the ruthless suppression of all opposition to the party in power. This is what I'm interested in, this complete subordination of the rights of individuals to the state, the denial of fundamental rights and liberties which are characteristic of a representative form of government, such as freedom of speech, the press, the assembly, religious worship, and result in the maintenance of control over the people through fear, terrorism, and brutality. I have been all over the United States speaking and attempting to speak, and I have been experiencing in our own country today this very thing of control over the people through fear, terrorism, and brutality. This is happening in all parts of this land. Now, uh, it seems to me if we're protecting the people of the United States that these protections are necessary from quite another point of view than I can see in their so-called necessity in this Well, do you, do you believe that they are uh, I'm saying these, uh, entitled to protection even as providing the bill? And I also, again, want to say uh, that it says that uh, uh, <coughs> this man wasn't here and let him into his place. The complete subordination, the same paragraph, complete sort of subordination of the rights of individuals to the state, denial of fundamental rights and liberties, and so forth. I uh, uh, think that uh, this is a complete, for example, a definition, since our states are sovereign powers, so to speak, except for the rights delegated to the federal government. A complete description of, say, what happens to the Negro people today in Mississippi, Alabama, many other states of the Union. And uh, the necessity for legislation, it seems to me, I, I will go into what I consider the constitutionality, the denial of civil rights under this bill, in fact, to the whole question of, our, of the way uh, we have placed this whole question in the bill. But it seems to me that the necessity for legislation that might concern, I suggest, with the, uh, the, the committee today and, uh, and for some time to come, uh, that since in this bill, uh, perhaps hundreds, thousands of Americans would like to speak on it, uh, and that, it should, uh, that not only today, but perhaps in the future, there should be opportunity for that. I am tremendously interested, before approaching the, in detail this bill, uh, just to ask you a question as to why in the light of the terror that I've seen and the denial of rights, uh, that the lynching bill is not sort of before the Senate at this time. It hasn't come out of the committee. I couldn't answer that. I'm personally trying to get it out of the committee. I think that, uh, uh, that if there are any kind of activities that strike at the very basis of our democratic way of life, that, uh, uh, that, these, that this bill sh certainly should come out. Both parties have, have uh, gone on record for the civil rights of the Negro people. And uh, it looks as though you might get through without it. So I'm certainly hoping that, uh, that uh, this bill will come out, and perhaps even this bill could be uh, put aside for the moment and extended later to see that these rights should be, uh, uh, somebody should be guaranteed. Now, as for a bill, I see it, the whole question of protecting the rights within the people of the United States, Against the background and the whole question of communism, for example, which is brought in every Mr. minute. Robinson, uh, uh, just can I go on to my question? Yes. I'll, answer, I'll answer that in just a second. Are you a member of the party? I will answer that in just a, just a moment. Can I go on to my discussion? Yes. I will answer that. Uh, 
the whole background, I would say so, I would strike at the very root of the conception of, of, of what is in these first paragraphs. Uh, the, for example, the origin, uh, uh, the uh, world movement with its origins and so forth. I mean, does Mr. Munt or whoever framed the bill understand that the origins of this kind of thing were in, say, the English Industrial Revolution and the time of Robert Owen in the, in the roots of, a, of the poverty of England, which it was responsible for the English poor and indentured servants coming to build America itself. This didn't just spring up the other day in some uh, part of Europe, a part of the whole struggle of human beings to improve their lot. One of the most important sections for myself being my own people here, the Negro people in America. So I see the whole framework of the bill. In reality, from my travels about this country and otherwise and about the world, in the framework of what we understand as Americans, of and what we mean by our democratic ways of life here, as expressed in this paragraph, that it means certainly from our own American history, from the beginning of our struggle for freedom from England, down through the Civil War which freed my own people, it means through the New Deal an extension. We have no, we, we mean anything, we mean an extension of the democratic rights and full citizenship to people who do not yet have them. That would include not only one-tenth of the population, the Negro people, it would include, for example, many of the Spanish-American people that I saw in Pueblo, Colorado a few months ago, perhaps living in hovels under the ground would include many in the fruit fields of California, in the whole deep south and all over America. But, but, and so in, a, in approaching uh, this whole problem uh, of, of, uh, of the struggle today in Europe and elsewhere, what has happened uh, in, 19, in 1917 in Russia, what's happened in Yugoslavia in many places, it has to do with trying, with, with millions and millions of people who, who are denied very basic rights, economic, social and political, of building, of trying to build a decent way of life. Against it has been, have been many forces, the most important of which we joined hands against, the forces of fascism. Now in going about America today, I say that those, when I was in Kansas City and I see the police beating workers over the head because they want a decent living, terrorizing the Negro people in West Virginia and all over, I say these are the, uh, the essence of, of, of Isaac trying to stop actually stop the struggle of the people to get the democratic rights which they don't have. And I go so far as to say that I feel, uh, I've been in uh, the Mr. Munn state in South Dakota, I was attacked by him once when I sang there, that in the whole discussion, and we can take it up in detail, of defining uh, what is uh, uh, a communist party, what is the a, a front organization, and what has happened in fact throughout America, where they they have terrorized people from joining any kind of liberal struggle. Just a second. Uh, that uh, that uh, uh, that this bill has seems to me to have as its basic idea not to to help the, the, the people of the United States or any other people, but to actually stop the struggle by terrorizing people to get rights for Negro people, for workers, and for other Americans who still haven't full citizenship. You read the bill, Mr. I Robert. have read the bill. All right. Now, section four, paragraph one. The certain acts that are prohibited are in Section 4. Well, they've been the other right. is merely registration. No, but, but you can't dismiss the rest of the bill. Well, I'm, I'm not dismissing no, no. it. I'm, I'm talking about that part. Yes, okay. Do you believe that it should be unlawful for anyone to attempt to establish in the United States a totalitarian dictatorship, the direction and control of which 
is to be vested in or exercised by or under the domination or control of any foreign government? We have laws. Foreign organization or foreign individual? We have laws that take care of that. But wait a minute. Of course not. Sure not. You, you sure think not. that that should be the law? Sure, that's all. Now, we, have, we have laws to protect that. We have laws to protect that. What is the we law have, now? We have, we have plenty of laws to take care of any people who would have to attempt to overthrow this government. No, but what, what is Mr. the... Mr. Hoover can, can take care of that. Wait. That's by force or violence, uh, yes. the Smith Act that uh, you're talking about. Okay. Well, this isn't by force or violence. You could do it by other means. What other means? Well, penetration. You don't think that Yugoslavia wasn't taken over by the communists, do you, Mr. Upson? I certainly do not. I think the Yugoslav, uh, uh, I say this is very basic. In Czechoslovakia? Is not, by no means. I mean, let's take Czechoslovakia. Yeah. Czechoslovakia. You can check this up. I happened to be in Czechoslovakia in 1945, singing to American troops at the very end of the war. I, as a singer, was called in by the American military to sing to some Czechs at a big uh, 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 park. And I had been in Prague before the war, and I speak the language a little bit. And I was trying to find out who these Czechs were. So finally, a woman comes up to me and said, I encounter so-and-so and so, and I met you in Chicago during the war. I said, you were in Chicago during the war, I understand. Uh, and I suppose you, you expect the, uh, and it occurred to me that maybe she was back in Czechoslovakia to get back a couple of those castles, which had been taken away because those who owned the castles had had professions. All I can say is, and I say this, and I can be called up again on this, I felt that I saw the American military, the only Czechs in the room happened to turn out to be Czech collaborationists and Sudeten Germans. And I would say that the Czech people probably made a decision that under no pressure, even American pressure, would they accept the restoration of Czech fascism, that they, if they were made to choose, they would choose the other way. That's what I would suggest. So you, uh, you, you as far as Yugoslavia, it seems to me, I was in Yugoslavia, and I saw the Yugoslav peasants suffering exactly like the Nicaraguan peasants suffered in the South. Only they were not one-tenth of the population, they were perhaps nine-tenths of the population. And so when we helped them destroy fascism, including King Peter, whom we now seem to have in this country, floating around, I know him as a boy there in London, saw him around there, I think that, the, that what has happened in Yugoslavia came from the struggles of the Yugoslav people who, with our help, were able to take the power. And as far as I can see, Senator, they're going to keep it. Right. Mr. Robson, what is an American communist? You define that I, I consider an American what, communist. Uh, For example, I know one. I know one. He grew up with me. We came up together. He went to Amherst. I went to Rutgers. I was interested in that because uh, uh, Judge, Sto uh, Judge Stone, uh, I took law at Columbia University. He was the dean of personal property at the time. He was an Amherst man who played football. We used to talk about this. Now, this fellow grew up with me, was born in Georgia, went through all sorts of, uh, as a Negro boy, uh, in injustices and, uh, and, 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 and injury to his dignity every five minutes. He came north, went to Harvard Law School, and uh, a dear friend of mine through all my life, still is, he is today on the city council of New York City, a man who is fighting and has made a tremendous struggle for the rights of the Negro people in Harlem and all through the United States. And I know no American that I'm prouder to know, and he is an American communist on the on the on the, on the, on the earth. And all right. Now, what do they stand for? What do they stand for? No. What do they stand for? They stand, as far as I can see, uh, for. Uh, complete equality of the Negro people in America, which I would like to see in every respect. It might interest me either to know, but in going about the country, I asked university students, when did they think that the Negro people would be completely free in America, like anybody else, not special freedoms, economic, some kind of special freedoms. They said to me a thousand years, a thousand years. 
So I'm interested in a party and in people who, who like in the Scottsboro case, who risk their lives, who make every effort of any possible kind to see that the Negro people secure their rights, so the forces of labor... Do you think that's what communism stands that's for in America? It stands for me. Look, I say, that's my basic point. Well, that's what I want to My basic point is, that, wait, let's explain a minute. Where, where did communism come from? I'm taking it from the first paragraph. It started against the background of the sufferings of the English people in the mills in the great industrial revolution, but which, which resulted in the slavery of white people in America. Now, in this struggle, can I say something? In this struggle, as I would put it, of the few against the many in history, that is, why did we found the American government? What, what happened? Why did Cromwell come over in England in 1620, 1640? Because the, he said no divine right of kings. And in order to see that in English history, they had to chop off Charles's head. And we had to, to have a revolution in 1776. We had to have a, a civil war to see that somewhere people begin to get their rights. So the French Revolution. So I see history as a struggle of the great mass of people to some way get, a, get some fair return for their labor and a decent chance to live. Yes, now, now let's, get down, on America, yes, let's get down to what the American communism is. Well, I'm saying, to me, it's a, they, are, they are a part of this whole struggle. The interest, so I, I, I can only define it against its background. All right. You can't say in one breath, Senator, that, that it's uh, American communism, offshoot of Russian communism. Well, that, that's what I want to know. I say, that, uh, no. What is, is under the domination? I say, what is Russian communism an offshoot of? Did, 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 uh, did Marx uh, or Lenin or uh, did, did this spring up in, uh, out of the head of the painting? No. These came out of the social conditions of Europe. Now, in, in, and, and, and communism began in England, not in Russia. Well, and let me say, Senator, are you an American communist? Uh, Senator, just let me finish the point. I'll, I'll answer the question. Now, in Scandinavia today, in Scandinavia today, they have decided to solve these problems of all the resources of the nation being in the hands of a few people by cooperative methods. That is, the General Electric, which controls electricity in this country, they more or less put them out of Sweden by cooperative means. In England today, they have taken over the railroads, coal, banks, by socialist means. That is, by public ownership. Now, this ought to be a mystery to the American people. We have TVA. New Zealand is a socialist country. We, th this is a part of the struggle of people to get control of some of the wealth, instead of leaving it in the hands of a few. I see communism as nothing but an extension of, of great public ownership of the main means of resources, like the railroad workers said the other day, the coal mines, if they're that important, Senator, to the United States, that so every time there's a national emergency, this is life or death to the, to the American people, doesn't it occur to you that instead of beating the workers on the head, that maybe this, the government should own the railroads and the coal mines? Well, this is, this is a whole struggle of which communism is a part. This is a part of the conceptions of the struggles of human beings for ages. And you can't move communism out anywhere in the world. Well, then, do, you, do I understand? So American communism is, you might as well say, is, what's an American socialist? What's well, an American democrat? American communism is part of the Russian system. Well, but do you know that American democratic principles stem directly from the French Revolution and our own revolution? No doubt They're very about revolutionary that. ideas. No doubt about that. They are very revolutionary ideas. In, in fascist Greece today, these are very revolutionary. Well, Mr. Robinson, let's, let's get down to okay. some of the facts in the bill. Now, I, I ask you the question you said you'd answer it. Are, are you an American communist? Today, Senator Ferguson, that question has become the very basis of the struggle for American civil liberties. 
19 or more, and many of the most, of, the, of, of the, some of the most brilliant and distinguished Americans are about to go to jail for failure to answer that question, and I'm going to join them if necessary. I refuse to answer All the right. question. You, you refuse to answer. You refuse to This is an invasion of my right of secret ballot, Senator Ferguson. If you want to know whether I am, the Communist Party is a legal party, like the Democratic Party, Republican Party. I'm going to vote pretty soon. If you want to send some government official to take my ballot away, a secret ballot, my constitutional right, he can see just what I am. I see. Uh, have you a communist card in any communist organization, any state, Mr. Robson? That is, I consider, a part of the other question. Then I refuse to. Yeah, I see. And it's, uh, it's a party then that uh, doesn't disclose. I, uh, that's what I well, want to say. If I were a Republican, maybe I wouldn't disclose yeah. it either. I would say, well, come to the ballot box and see it. I'm not interested what the Republicans do. All I know the Communist Party is a legal party in the United States. And making a magnificent I mean, struggle on many fronts. I mean, communists just, just uh, refuse to disclose whether they're members of the. Well, I say, since you've made. Because you, we, today, you have made this, this. This goes to the very heart of the bill. I say that this whole hysteria. And the bill is a part of that hysteria. To use this, not, not only to break, not, not to hurt communists, but really to break the civil liberties of every section of the American people. Yeah. The rights of labor, the rights now, of liberals. One, this, this, one, right, Mr. this is a very basic You know something about the communists of America. You've been, you, you've been, you know something about the communists of America. I have America. many dear friends who are communists. Yes. It's perfectly true. And you, uh, you know I think they've them. done a magnificent job. But isn't, yes, you that's think right. they've done a magnificent right. job in America. That's, that's your right. opinion. That's my opinion. And uh, do you know that it is a fact that they, outside of, uh, of their membership, decline to disclose that they are communists? Well, uh, I think that they might be... This, this can be determined. The Supreme Court's going to have to rule on that. But no, isn't that a fact? That except know. among themselves, they decline to think. make it public that they are communist or no, not communist. I would say that uh, if it weren't a basic problem of civil liberties, it goes to the very heart of the struggle, and which the denial of these civil liberties, of which I believe this bill to be a part, that's the reason I'm here, uh, this would not be so at all. Uh, have you ever been to Russia? Oh, yes, yes, yes. And uh, have you uh, studied in Russia? Oh, no, never studied there. I went there as you, you never attended you uh, any of the... As far as that's concerned, you don't have to go to Russia to read Marx or Lenin. No, I, I understand. They didn't, they didn't give it to me at Rutgers instead where I went to college, but I read it. Yeah, but you've read it since. That's right. Uh, you didn't study in any school in Russia. No, no, no. Uh, do you know I went purely as an artist and knew nothing about it. My first book, 1934, nothing about it. You, you, you know, I only to sing. Do you know the head of the Communist Party in uh, Russia, okay. Mr. Stalin? Do you know... Uh, no, I've never met Mr. Stalin. You've never seen him. How much time have you spent in Russia? I was there for over a period, let's say, between 34 and 37. I was there two weeks, three weeks, three months. What is much more interesting, I should think, Senator, is that my boy went to school there for two or three years. Hey, my, he, my, my one boy. One year, your boy? Because I found in Russia a complete absence of race prejudice. Yeah. A complete absence. What's the name? The first, question, the first time in my life, Senator, that I was able to walk the earth with complete dignity as a human being. So I took my boy there. He's now at Cornell. Yes. And let me tell you what happened to him. What, what age was he? He was eight, eight or nine years old. Well, he was just nine, a... Just a boy. You know, very important age, incidentally. Yeah? Very important. What uh, school did he attend? He went to a school in Moscow, a public school. Public school. Yeah. Now he came, he came, come back, came to, he's in Cornell, he's been back in America many years, went to high school, but in Russia, from not experiencing this race prejudice, today in America, uh, he's going to fight for his people, 
and fight in the progressive section of American life with a much easier than I can, for example. Because if somebody would suddenly call me a name here in the room, I would, don't think I would do anything about it. But I'm sure I'd be, I would be, I'd have a tendency to get up and want to knock the guy down. Now, he has no feeling of any kind of thing. Because he knows that he lived in a part of the world where there was no such thing as color prejudice. So he's going to be able to make a very kind, very important contribution, I think, to American life. Uh, now, now, this is what he did for him. That's the reason he went. Do you know whether or not the American communist owes any allegiance to the red flag? As far as I know, the Supreme Court has been put up only once. No, I refuse to pass on it. No, no, I'm asking what you know. I, You've I been traveling all over. No, 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 I don't know. Why, why would they, why that? As far as I know, the American communist is interested in improving as far as possible, certainly, the lot of the people here, of the, of the people who suffer, as well as in other parts of the world right. where, this, where this becomes do, a part of the struggle. Do you know whether or not the American communists believe in world revolution? That I don't know. You don't know that? That I don't and, know. And do you know whether they, they do believe in, uh, in uh, allegiance like to the Communist Party or communism in Russia? Do you know what? That they owe allegiance to. Oh, no, no, I, I don't think that I, I would say no to anybody, anything I know about it. I don't think they have nearly as much allegiance to Russia as certain Americans seem to have today, say, to a fascist Greek or to Turkey or to Abdullah yeah. and Jordan. You, you have uh, addressed communist meetings in America, have you? Uh, uh, President Roosevelt uh, gave a definition of this that of uh, the concentration of power in a few hands in the struggle of the New Deal against the so-called economic royalists, in which he defined this concentration of power as the essence of fascism. I'm, I, would like, I, would like, I would like Mr. Hoover to be sure he's got Mr. DuPont tabbed and Forrester with the people. This is very difficult because they, they are our government today. It isn't so easy to get to the basis of what might be potential American fascism. That's what frightens me. And I don't see enough about that in the bill. Well, any doesn't, doesn't this bill cover uh, no, I don't uh, dictatorship, whether it be fascist or communist? You cannot say that. You cannot define fascism or communism by totalitarian dictatorship. I, I disagree with a very, this is, this again is misleading the American people. That is, during the war. What's your definition of uh, fascism? I would say, to me, the essence of fascism in two things. Let's take the more obvious one first. Uh, racial superiority. The kind of racial superiority that led a Hitler to wipe out six million Jewish people that, that can result any day in the lynching of Negro people in the South or other parts of America, the denial of their rights, the constant daily denial to any Negro in America, no matter how important women may be, of his essential human dignity, the things which no other American would accept. This daily insult to his dignity as a human being. This is the essence of that. That's the now, the second thing is, no, but the most important thing, which is the reason this can be, is the power of the resources of a nation of, in the hands of the few, in the hands of the few, and the use of the state power as Hitler or Mussolini or the police in Kansas City to, to, to beat down any attempt to strive toward any kind of democratic rights or freedoms. Even though that be law enforcement? What's that? Even though it be law enforcement? I say, even though I would say this is the very essence of the thing. We yeah. find always that law enforcement in this case is the protection of the property of the few people who are the potential of fascism. Uh, now, what is the essence of communism in America, in your opinion? The essence <coughs> to my mind of communism here, anyway, is, the, uh, what is 
every day I read in the paper, what does, uh, what does communism thrive on, all this kind of, uh, what do, where, 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 will you tell me, Senator, where does the, uh, where would you expect to find your communists? Would you expect to find, say, that Mr. DuPont would be a communist? Well, uh, I, I think in America today we can expect to find them anywhere. Oh, you Well, no, I would say that... Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it isn't a question of wealth. Oh, very much so. I, you think so? Not a question. Not no. Just, not, no, I'm talking about, not a question of wealth in this case. Yeah. A question of wealth where it comes like an American today, as far as that's concerned. Where in the, in the end, take the South, well, and you, you, take the side, you tell me, you tell me who controls the wealth of the South. See, you gave me... No, no, let me give you the point. Oh, wait a minute. You gave me the essence of fascism. Now, I'd like to have the essence of, okay. uh, let me of give communism. It, let me give it to you, because I wrote, I, this came from my experience. I didn't make these things up. So I'm in the South. My father was a slave. A few weeks ago, I'm standing in North Carolina on the very soil on which my father was a slave. Now, then I go into the whole history of our civilization, so to speak. One hundred million Negroes from Africa torn to pieces and died in the slave trade. On our backs in America, the very primary wealth of America built on our backs, cotton, taken to the New England textile mills. What do we get from it today? Poverty, insult, inferior station in life, no opportunities. Who controls the wealth? A few people, a few people. Now somewhere, to me, by whatever means, today, by what, at certain times, like in our own history, these means have been revolutionary, in other times, evidently not. But somewhere to me, communism is interested in seeing that those people who are oppressed, who suffer, that somewhere they represent those people in their struggle toward the people. Now that's, that's the essence what, of communism. That's what I'm And uh, the essence of communism here is the same as the essence of communism in Russia. I would say it's the same uh, essence. It has to do with the struggles of the Russian people against the Tsar's yeah. oppression. All right. It's universal. They were interested. Exactly like uh, universal in this sense, Senator Burke. You see, I don't, again, I'm going to stop you from what is an American today. And this is what I mean, an American here. So you try to link every American who believes something with this country or that country. Now, Mr. Marshall is on record today that we are no longer American, Senator Ferguson. We are defending Western civilization, whether it's in Italy, Greece, even in Turkey, they've become the great defenders strengths to save Western civilization. Now we have got, we as Americans today are in a world, some kind of world struggle, which we are no longer Americans, we are a part of the world. So you can't isolate this in this sense. Now I say to Mr. Marshall, and I say as an American, I was in Europe. Now if there are Americans who want to support Franco in Spain, let them go ahead. I was in public in Spain, singing for troops who were fighting against Franco. Mr. Mr. Robinson, you understand? If so, this law so this is, is this passed, has nothing to do. You can't. Yeah. No, I don't see the American communist doesn't. He's an American, as far right. as I know. If this law it's like is we were passed in Jefferson's time, he was an American, not a Frenchman. That's what I see. If this law is passed and the Supreme Court holds it constitutional, do you believe that it should be lived up to? If this law is passed, yes, or any law passed. And well, I, say, I, think this law, I sincerely hope the Senate won't pass it, and I'm, I'm sincerely hope that the, you know, that the Supreme Court will declare it unconstitutional. But if they do, you, you then believe that the people should live up to it? Well, I'm sure that I would live up to it in every in, 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 by trying in every possible way to have it taken off the books. Well, but wouldn't you, wouldn't you uh, live under it? Wouldn't you say that it was the law and therefore it nobody's was binding argue, upon you? Nobody's arguing that point. That's what I mean. Nobody's arguing that point. Well, Mr. Foster told us Saturday, Friday, that he would not obey it if it was In what sense would he not obey it? Just he wouldn't obey it. 
Well, I, I, I don't know what his, uh, his thinking was, but he said that he would not obey it. He didn't believe that it should be obeyed. But then register. Well, you would violate the law. Well, then you would violate the law. Oh, I see. So then you would violate the law, and you would feel that you were. I would say this to me. I would. I would fight as a. I would really fight it as a. As a real piece of American fascism. Well, you see, what I'm what I'm talking about is after it's declared constitutional by the Supreme Court. Let me. Then you would defy it. Let me put this way, Senator. Uh, let's suppose a Frenchman at a certain time is now faced with a law passed by Vichy. Would you expect that Frenchman to uh, observe it? Under the former Vichy government? That's no, right. it wouldn't be the law. Why not? Because they were, they, were, they were France at that period. Yes. They were the government of France. There's a new government there now, and they have... Well, I'm not talking about at that time. Would you have expected those men who helped our American boys come up and destroy... Well, is that the way you classify this law? I would classify it exactly in that category. I see. Then you would not... As a fascist act. Then you would not obey it. That's right. As an anti-fascist, I would not obey it. Now, you, uh... You recited here that your father was a slave. That's right. You are now, uh, independent. Am I? Independent. You are independent economically. You occupy a high position in American society. You're proud of it. You've been of service in many ways. Now that's all been achieved in one generation. Can you think of any other country on the face of the earth where such an opportunity has been? Uh, yes. What is it? I would say that uh, Russia. Yes, I would say that. Not one. Now, you don't mean to say that Russian people have any opportunity at all to be anything more than slaves, does it? Uh, they have you to said a while ago you approved of communism, uh, approved of communism for the deeds of people. Oh, yes. Yeah. They've liberated the whole people. In many countries. Liberated the whole people. They've liquidated the Muslims. No, 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 no. Not nearly have they liquidated as many as the Negroes were liquidated in slavery or could be liquidated today in many parts of the South. Well, now there's nobody being liquidated in America today. Uh, why, why, do we have a, why, should, why should the lynching bill be on the, on the calendar of practically now? Anti-lynching bill. Well, I don't know why it should be. Why all this excitement about civil rights if they aren't necessary? Welcome back. And that was uh, excerpts from uh, testimony by Paul Robeson before the United States Senate in uh, 1948 uh, during the uh, communist uh, witch hunts. And, of course, Robeson became a prime target of the uh, racists and the anti-communists inside the United States. And um, as I mentioned before, uh, he had his passport uh, seized. He um, was unable to make a living as an artist and a public speaker, Uh, but he continued during that time period, uh, particularly uh, after 1949, when he went to Paris to participate in the uh, Peace Congress, and of course, uh, as a result of that, uh, that he was condemned, and uh, they said that, uh, you know, he had terms of a passport uh, to travel outside the United States simply because he criticized in Paris uh, the Cold War uh, directed 
against uh, the emerging socialist countries and the national liberation movements, uh, saying that uh, African Americans uh, should not uh, fight a war against China or the Soviet Union. This was in 1949. He made this statement at the Paris uh, Peace Congress. Uh, right now, we want to move into an interview uh, done 10 years after the uh, hearing uh, that we just listened to, excerpts from the hearing we just listened to. This was an interview uh, done uh, in California, in San Francisco, uh, Bay Area of California, in 1958. Uh, of course, uh, this is during a time period uh, when Robeson... Uh, was allowed to travel internationally, and uh, he went to a number of places um, during the late 1950s and early 1960s. This interview is taken uh, from uh, 1958. Let's listen in. The following program is brought to you by the Pacifica Program Service and Radio Archives. I have in the studio with me Paul Robeson, who needs no introduction, and Harold Winkler, who is president of Pacifica Foundation, which operates KPFA, as most of you know. Uh, Mr. Robeson has been known and loved as an artist all over the world for many years, but he has also, I believe, uh, attracted considerable and worldwide attention in his role as a world citizen and as a person who was uh, very deeply concerned about the society in which he lived. I wonder, Mr. Robeson, if we could kick off by asking, uh, when did you first become involved in the <laughs> political aspects of... May I first say how, how, how happy I am and privileged to be with you here and how deeply I thank uh, this station for its kindness throughout the years. I've been on two or three others this time but always have been, uh, know I've had a welcome here, so I want to thank you. I would say, as I indicate in a recent book, which is now out, it will be on the stands pretty soon, Here I Stand, story of my life as I tell it, not too autobiographical. It began when I was a, a little boy in Princeton, New Jersey. <laughs> Strange to say. I would, uh, technically, this is the shaping of my views, uh, a Negro boy born in Princeton, New Jersey, in a college town uh, where the students mainly came from the Deep South. You know, Princeton and Princeton, Harvard, and Yale was the sort of the Southern University of the North, whether you know that or not. And so I grew up in Jersey in a rather Southern atmosphere. And so, and my father was a minister, and I was shaped against that background. Uh, technically, I entered the sort of the arena in the United States of fighting for social justice for my people in a concert when I was in a concert in St. Louis in 1947, in the Post-Dispatch, where I was singing uh, at the Keel Auditorium, uh, one of the big auditoriums there, and the NAACP asked me in St. Louis at that time to come on a picket line because Negro people could not even sit in the theater, which was just across the street. And so I grabbed a, 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 a banner, and lo and behold, I saw Walter Houston coming down the street. He was in the play. So Walter walked out and joined the picket line, too. <laughs> and a few nights later, when I was doing the concert, I said that I could not quite resolve the contradiction between uh, singing to an audience in St. Louis, where there was no segregation, of course, but, but also uh, 
the same people uh, had not, to my mind, were not fighting to see that my people could sit in the theater. It's been corrected since. And so I said that I was giving up my career technically for the moment to enter the realm of the day-to-day -day struggle of the Negro people especially. And this was your first political uh, action? That, no, that was within this context. This is very important to get in the context. My first actual, to come back to your question, was in London in 1933. It isn't very well known, which I clarify in the book, that I went to play showboat in London in 1928. Jerry Curran was with me and Oscar Hammerstein, and we had a great success. And then I did concerts in 1928, and I became domiciled and lived in England, domiciled there, paid my taxes there from 1928 until 1940, after the war began. Does this mean, Mr. Robeson, <clears throat> that you spent most of your time in England during this period? It meant that I came back now and then for concerts. I was here in Oakland many times, but I went back and spent most of my time in Great Britain. Why? I was there in 1930, played Othello. Uh, so again, this is extremely important. At that time, I said for the public to see that I felt, I, I would explain it today in this light. We understand why many of my people have come to Oakland, to the vicinity from Mississippi and from the South. There have been migrations into California, I understand today, from everywhere. But for many years, as you know, uh, many of my people have left the South because the conditions in the North were better, okay? I felt the pressure so much in 1928 that instead of stopping in New York, I just went on to London. Hmm. That clear. And did you feel no pressure there in I the felt racial no, sense? I felt no, nowhere near the pressure. Now, that does not mean that you haven't the background of the English colonies and so forth. Yes, but I wonder. Pressure, but the pressure, but I say it's a difference between right here now and say, let's say, the Mississippi of Mr. Eastland. You understand? Yes. This is quite different. So America is quite different. There are great differences. So I found England that much more of a difference. That's all. Mm -hmm. I felt I found Canada that way. When I was playing Othello some years ago, when we got to Toronto, the cast said to me after a week, "Well, Paul, why are you so different? The uh, the the play is is much deeper. You seem to be freer." I said, "That's quite true. <laughs> That's quite true. I'm in a country where." where there is no, this is not a question, I'm on a theater, on a stage with many other white actors, this is not a problem here. So obviously I feel freer, that's right, I'm a different, but I don't, now I don't uh, uh, feel the pressures that one would feel in the Deep South all the time, but it would interest you to know, and I've put it, that I, and I feel any Negro, if you were honest, would have to say that even in our democracy as at present, that he is never any one second unconscious of the fact that he is a black American or a colored American. He can never be unconscious of it in any part of the United States. Mr. Robeson, have you been back to England since the last war? Oh, yes, I was back in 49. Uh, the point I wanted to get at uh, is that when I was in England last year, I became aware of the large number of West Indians who are now That's about true. London, and I heard rather nasty overtones That's in right. my talks with uh, uh, some Englishmen that frightened me no question about, about a change that might take place in England. No, I, I, uh, again, if you want to go further, into the, nothing could be worse than South Africa. And I'm only saying I put these things down. What is most important is that at the height, uh, having lived many years out and enjoying the, 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 certainly the height of, 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 uh, of success in Great Britain, that I decided that I must come back to my own country to struggle in this and to make the sacrifices that I have. That's the most important thing in this regard. And I am here. Now, wait, would you, 
Yes. Spell this out again for me. Uh, you, you left England because England is not as attractive or oh, because no, you no. feel you have a greater mission in the United States? No, no, no. Let's don't get in that. There are many places in the world where personally it would be much easier to live than in the United States for an American Negro. In other words, and your commitment is definitely to what you feel you can do right. in this country. That's right. And Langston Hughes, in a book discussion before the book club in New York just a while ago, pointed out that every important Negro novelist, not only Richard Wright, but many others, that, that the great 95% of them live in Paris or somewhere else in the world. Mm -hmm. Why? Because the pressures are personally are much simpler. And yet in the foreword of your book that I have before me, you quote Frederick Douglass as saying, a man is worked on by what he works on. That's right. He may carve out his circumstances, but his circumstances will carve him out as well. That's right. Is this part of the reason why you feel that you must be back in the United States? I made this decision some years ago, and I say certainly that I spring essentially from here, uh, like you threw the other day about the Indians in North Carolina. If you recall, that was in Robeson County. Yes, I noticed that in the item. Now, this is a very interesting thing which I point out in my book and which explains a good deal, too, of how I feel. Now, I was born on the edge of Robeson County, and my father is a Robeson and was a Robeson because he was a slave, my own father, a slave, of the Scottish Robesons who still control Robeson County in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. so, my, so I approach these problems from a very close point. And so, but I have a home, and my people are tobacco workers and sharecroppers today on, that, on plantations in that county. But a part of that soil belongs to me. That, that's my roots. These are my roots in this country. On the other hand, also, I felt that... Uh, 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 so somewhere, the contributions that I had... Uh, could make some contribution from my background traveling about the world. However, I never expected, I am quite willing to say, that I would be restricted from traveling. <laughs> yes. Well, tell me, Mr. Robeson, was your commitment to the political scene then largely as a result of uh, your feeling about your own people or our own people, let's put it? Yes. Uh, or did it have other overtones of I political first, conviction? I, and first, it starts uh, as an American Negro interested in my own people. The other great change is very constant in my mind. I was in the Welsh Valley, and the Welsh people sing very much like we do in, in the Negro people. Yes, I've heard Many them. of our songs, beautiful songs. And I was uh, one of the few outsiders who, who has sung at a Welsh Estethforth, their, their national festival which has gone on since the time of the Druids. And I went down in the mines with the workers, and they explained to me that, Paul, you may be successful here in England, but your people suffer like ours. We are poor people. And you belong to us. You don't belong to the, to the big weeks here in this country. And so I today feel as much at home in the Welsh Valley as I would in my own Negro section, any city in the United States. And I just did a broadcast by translating cable to the Welsh Valley a few weeks ago. And here was the first understanding that the struggle of the Negro people or of any people cannot be by itself. That is the human struggle. And so I was attracted then to, to uh, met many members of the Labour Party, and my politics embraced also the common struggle of all oppressed peoples, including especially the working masses, specifically the laboring people of all the world. And that, that defines my philosophy. It's a joining one of uh, we are a working people, a laboring people, the Negro people. And there is a unity between our struggle and those of white workers in the South. I've had white workers shake my hand and say, Paul, we're fighting for the same thing. And so this defines my attitude towards socialism and toward many other things in the world. I do not believe 
that a few people should control the wealth of any land, that it should be a collective ownership in the interest of all. Is that a democratic socialism or? I would have to be a democratic socialism. There are many ways, however, to to struggle toward democracy, as I see that in a place like China, for example, today, the Soviet Union, many other places, or take our own problems uh, of Negroes. If we were free in the South tomorrow to carry our weight, to vote into everything, would we now look around and try to find the 10 billionaires among our people? Would we attempt to build them up? Or would we try to answer the needs of the great millions of our people? And so I see other ways of life, socialism, as trying to solve the problems of millions and tens of millions of peoples at once, in a way, instead of, the, instead of what we would start from the individual to the masses, they start from the masses this way. Now, there are two ways, and there are difficulties each way. I, I have made the decision to join in a collective struggle, and the reason that my personal uh, sacrifices mean very little in the struggle, in one way, when you see the children of Little Rock, what does, what does not giving a few concerts mean if you can make some other contribution? It's in that context. So nothing is perfect in the world. We're going toward it from different angles. I feel there's a great burden of proof on every society, on our own as well today. On our own as well. Mr. Robeson, some years ago, I was talking to a French member of the Communist Party. Yes. And in the course of our discussion, he said to me, uh, you, Mr. Winkler, are a Jeffersonian Democrat. Yes. You can afford it in your rich uh, uh, land, yes. but in my land and in other lands, we must give up our freedom now to certain men in order to achieve freedom for our children in the future. This is an act of faith for me, he said, yes. giving up my yes. freedom now. Yes. Uh, do you find yourself sympathetic with... Uh, I don't think that is, uh, I would put it quite differently, no, nor do I think that's any part of, uh, of any socialist philosophy or communist philosophy, as far as I know, uh, that uh, we struck it during the, during the war under Roosevelt, for example. We had to give up many privileges. Uh, they're practically telling us we have to do that again. I mean, in any sort of a war economy, in England, England, for example, they have not eaten eggs almost for years and years because of certain pressures. And it seems to me in the socialist lands, the Soviet Union, China, and many places, that that's quite true. Uh, it's one thing to say today uh, that they don't have as, uh, as shining apparel as we do, but they have uh, made tremendous scientific progress and within a one generation, so to speak, within 40 years, have become one of the most powerful countries in the world. Now, they've done it by great sacrifices, and not by, to my mind, uh, uh, they feel that the country in one sense, the man in the street, uh, may not in every essence belong to him, but he feels it's much more his than, say, uh, I do in Charleston, South Carolina, when one Amer uh, Southern American Negro explained to me that I was in the state of our great plantations. I said, are you sure about that, our great plantations? I don't feel that they're my plantations. Uh, but in one sense, some of the people in socialist lands feel that the country does belong to them in a, a real sense. Now, there are, there are uh, uh, and as far as the basic uh, uh, concept of uh, the dictatorship of the proletariat and so forth, isn't it? Uh, I would say, again, bringing it back to our own history, there was, as we know, a dictatorship of the North over the South in the days following the Civil War. When that di dictatorship was removed, uh, the, the, the colored people reverted practically into a kind of servitude. I could have conceived of, uh, 
of a dictatorship over the South for quite a longer period, from my point of view, quite quite frankly. So this is understandable. Yes. In your book, Mr. Robeson, uh, Here I Stand, you have a chapter entitled The Power of Negro Action. That's right. Uh, what are some of the specific acts <laughs> which you recommend, and perhaps in the order of priority? Well, I say any in any Negro life, you would say that nobody, this is, seems to be rather startling to many of my friends. Nobody would be startled, say, with taking the vote of the power of Italian action or Polish action in Detroit or Catholic action in New York and so forth. I mean, that the vote would be a, a block and the power of the Negro vote in the North in certain states. This is one very important aspect, uh, very clear. A kind of, uh, uh, we have tremendous economic power in this, uh, in this land today. Uh, there should be tremendous support of Negro business, of Negro banks and so forth, and loan associations and so forth. But the prime thing is, is that I'm convinced that... Yes. Take, taking this last yeah. uh, uh, illustration of yours, have you not found that uh, as Negro bankers uh, 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 become richer, that they grow away from uh, your people? No, I don't. I, I, I do they know. remain they, a part they, of they, they total remain. Negro action? There's no way for, as I said before, for any American Negro, however wealthy, however famous, to be anything at this period of our history at some point than an American Negro. If he oh, doesn't know, I can it, see if he doesn't know it, he, he'll find it out. From a racial standpoint, yeah, Mr. Robeson, yeah. but from the political standpoint of socialism, which you were discussing a few mm. moments ago, surely a Negro capitalist... Uh, if he had the opportunity, would undoubtedly behave uh, according to the lights of his own. Uh, he has to, but he. Business. But I know many of the most wealthy, and they often I feel that they don't help as much as they should. But he's forever conscious his children suffer the same things as the poor Negro's children, and at some point he finds a way to uh, to help. It's, it's, a, it's a little different even there. But that is... Uh, you're, in other words, you feel it correct. tracks through yeah. in a but different I, but way. But I'm really not... Uh, what I'm trying to say is that is that somewhere for our own dignity, I see, that is Africa, would you understand, Ghana today, unifying as a, with its own sort of, you know, nationalist strength. Is that clear? Yes. Yeah. I feel in America, strange to say, especially in the South, that, uh, that uh, even with all the goodwill of uh, white liberals in the country, that it's very important for the Negro people to know what they want and to unify to do it often in a very simple case of fighting segregation, one group of Negroes can be drawn aside because of political pressure, other pressures. We should unify, too. We should unify. Yes, I feel there's got to be a unity in order to integrate. That's what I feel. But I feel that we've, we, are not, we just can't integrate as individuals. Yes. But isn't the example of Liberia, uh, for example, a sorry example, uh, as it said against Ghana? Well, yes, because that's a very simple. The Firestone has taken care of that. It has been exploited to its hilt by Firestone rubber, if you don't know the facts. Yes, sir. It still remains, uh, then, yes, an economic and question. And so has Ghana. Than a racial so unity, has Ghana, I Rather think. than a racial unity question. It remains an economic uh, uh, question no, in its no. fundamentals no, rather than the Ghana unity of also, the Negro people. Ghana has uh, the, the unity of its own nation, same as Chinese or Indians, very close to India. India's just, they have a, a culture and a history that has its own national characteristics. But what will prevent Ghana from becoming another Liberia? That's the... What do you mean? Well, from Liberia the today pressures. is completely controlled by Firestone, not by Africans. But I, but I, but I feel that Nkrumah is going to control the economy of Ghana. 
and at some time be strong enough to say to the European, either you sit here and acknowledge that we run our own country, like Nehru, or else you go. But I don't see the day when Liberia can tell Firestone to do that. Oh, they're quite different. They're quite different. Liberia is a complete vassal state of American capital, finance capital, without question. They have nothing to say, nothing whatsoever. What is your reaction to the passive resistance as practiced in Montgomery? Well, I think there was a magnificent movement, and nobody can I say there's nothing as far as the general thing of a nonviolent solution to the problem. This is the, there could be no other solution within our, uh, uh, within the frame of things today. I mean, this is a very important uh, contribution. Uh, uh, nobody could think of a violent solution unless the Negroes, unless somebody wanted to, 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 to ask somebody to be destroyed. I mean, that would be absurd. On the other hand, within that framework, I think that, that the Negro people have to be extremely militant and, and, and demand a little more than they are demanding today and to do a little more, not to do, to do, to do something, to do other things as well as pray, let me put it, as well as pray. Do you think there's been a change in the attitude of the Negro churches toward militant political and economic action, Mr. Rose? I think there has, because it's history, you know. Take Frederick Douglass. I belong to the AME Zion Church. Uh, there's one in this area. And uh, Douglass was a part of that church. Harriet Tubman, who formed the Underground Railroad, who was called the Moses of our people. They sang Go Down Moses when she came into the South to free the slaves. And Harriet Tubman. And we have a tradition of tremendous... Uh, consistent speaking out, you know, for our rights. Like in the whole civil rights struggle. I mean by militant, uh, letting people know that you, that you want to be free like anybody else. And I think the churches, however, a lot of the responsibility still rests upon our churches because that's where so many of our people, uh, you know, go. They have tremendous influence still. Mr. Robeson, do you think your artistry as a singer and uh, actor have suffered because <laughs> of your involvement in political action are profited. They have not. I feel that they have profited. They've only suffered when they've suffered by the fact that because of my political views, which I certainly did not expect in a democracy, that I've been prevented from exercising my craft. However, I've kept singing all through the years. Uh, you may be able to test it pretty soon. I just made a recording the other day for Vanguard, which they felt was superior to any records I have ever made. My voice is still in fine shape. I've been in the area. And as far as Othello, I've worked on it. I feel I've just been invited to play at, Str at Stratford on Avon, Shakespeare's, uh, the Shakespeare Memorial Theater in England, in, strange to say, in Pericles, to play the part of Gower. And I would certainly do Othello at some point in London. And I feel I would give a better performance. Uh, I feel that in every, and I, I've got a lot of things here which we won't be able to get to in my music, comparing the folk music of the world, I would say that my interest in my art has deepened just no end in the last years. And I've become interested in the music of Bartok, of Mussorgsky, many folk things, the, the, the unity of the folk music of the world, which has sprung from my political conviction that all people should be unified. I have seen it expressed in their music, and I do a program, which of all the songs of all the peoples in the world, suggesting that we are all one human family, it all comes to that. So I feel that basically that it has deepened my... Uh, my on the other hand, I have never separated my work as an artist, from my work as a human being. I've always put it even more strongly that, to me, my art is always a weapon. It's got to be good art. Othello was a weapon in racial relations, or, or at least showing that uh, we can do some things, too. I played football. 
My father explained to me that, well, if a fella hit me, I couldn't hit him back because they'd say we were bad and savage. So I had to stand to be knocked all around. Uh, I had to do well in my studies. So I've never been able to divorce one thing from the other. Uh, and luckily, I don't uh, sing the kind of songs that may, you're here and you hit the high, uh, whatever it is, the high uh, B flat and the high this and the high that. I sing songs that express very much the emotions of different peoples, like the Welsh, the Scotch, the Negro, Chinese, Russian, and so forth. Well, what is the present state of play on this passport business? You were talking about your British invitations. Yes. Uh, how are you going to get there? Well, luckily, I think at this point, the basic case is before the Supreme Court. It's the case of Rockwell Kent, uh, contending that the, which the whole, all the cases revolve around, that when the State Department put in its administrative necessities that one sign a non-communist affidavit, whether or not he is, was, or so forth, that this is a violation of constitutional rights. Uh, just wasn't just any any American now has to sign this uh, this particular proposal, and this is before the Supreme Court. And in its present temper, uh, it seems to me that the court might easily decide. And this is what you refuse to do. Right. You refuse to sign such a document. Oh, yeah, completely refuse. This is a complete investor. Did you, you know, did you murder your wife yesterday or, you know, the day before? Are you, are you a Republican? Are you a Democrat? This is no, but my political opinions are my own business, you know. This is a complete, uh, complete, uh, and I say we have the background of the, of the reversal in the Smith Act cases all over this country. So somebody was framed, I would say. So it shows that all of it, to my mind, is a complete hoax from somewhere. In other words, you're hoping that on the basis of some of the current court decisions yes. that uh, you may get your passport in time to... Yes, to or I have now been invited to sing on April 6th in a national television uh, broadcast. Maybe I could get special permission to go. I mean, they're, they're, and because of my background in England, there is almost a national almost demand from England or request that I be allowed to come in April and even before the summer. And also, I take... Uh, some optim optimistic point of view from the fact that where no passports are needed uh, after restricting me for many years even in that area this was had to be lifted because the courts would certainly I think have ruled that this was uh, was completely illegal once I was stopped from going to Hawaii Puerto Rico which are parts of the United States uh, so I can now go anywhere in this hemisphere Oh, you're not dangerous as long as you stick to the Western Hemisphere? I'm just saying, so I'm just saying, if a court is looking at this, how can the State Department argue that if I leave the country, this is extremely dangerous, the guy, he got up in court, the fellow, and if I left, it was going to be a catastrophe. I don't know what would happen the next morning, immediately I got on the plane. But I can now be in Brazil, I can be in the West Indies, I can be in Canada, I can be anywhere in this hemisphere. Why can't I be in London? It doesn't make any sense to me. So I, I'm optimistic that, that I may get my passport. Mr. Rosen, However, <coughs> if we may change yes, the I'd like to direction, get to my concert. <laughs> uh, could I, uh, uh, however, uh, ask you some questions uh, along another line for a moment? I have three small children of yes. my own, and I'm very much interested in the problems of uh, children uh, yes. uh, with relation to these larger problems of a man standing up for certain things. Yes. Ha have your children moved around the world with you? Uh, in the course of your travels? Well, I just have one boy. Oh, you just have one boy? Just one boy. And he, as you know, traveled around, but from the time he was about two, traveled with me everywhere, and lived in England, and went to school for a part of his youth in the Soviet Union. He speaks Russian very well. And uh, he is now in this country with the Cornell, and he has two beautiful grandchildren. And... Uh, uh, 
he uh, he is very happy. His was a, a mixed marriage in one sense. He married a very wonderful Jewish girl of a Romanian Jewish background, and they're extremely happy. Have two Mr. children. Concentrating live in all the problems. <laughs> all the problems, and they are very happy and get along very well in Harlem, where they live in the Negro community. They are both, may I say, to use a much abused term, progressive young Americans. <laughs> and uh, and uh, he's an electronics engineer and a very fine acoustical engineer. We've done some work together. And uh, she teaches in school, teaches children. There are two children in school, so she teaches in you know, young children's school. And they're very happy. And my wife is a, an accredited correspondent at the United Nations and does a lot of work for different publications throughout the world. So we keep pretty busy. and uh, But I am very happy to get to the core, be back at my singing, and to say that, however I have talked this afternoon, that I have great faith. I wouldn't be here if I did not have great faith in our, that somewhere we will realize the, demo, the democratic potentials of our life, of our, of our society. I deeply believe that. I uh, fight for peace. I feel we've got to live with many other kinds of systems and other beliefs in the world. We've been able to do it through many generations and centuries. That's the reason why we couldn't find peace in that destruction uh, and, uh, and a little faster in understanding the problems of oppressed peoples, wherever they may be. But very uh, happy to be back in the area to sing. In fact, I've come back here, you know, sung in the Negro churches at the Third Baptist in in San Francisco, and I sang in Oakland, and, and I sang in Sacramento and Stockton, and I've been back at my career now for quite some time, mainly in the Negro churches. Has this been a change? Uh, uh, I was not aware that you had, had been singing in the Negro ch churches yes. up until recently. Yes. Uh, well, I wasn't able to sing anywhere else. I wasn't able to get the auditoriums. On the other hand, we have a great tradition in Negro life. All of us, Marion Anderson, uh, Hayes, we all began in Negro churches. And my brother is pastor of a very large church in New York. And every Sunday afternoon, you may go there and hear any of the top Negro artists in the whole concert field, or feel anybody. We always go back to the churches. And so it's been a very fine way to walk into a church full of about 2,000 people and say, well, Paul's here this morning, and it's just to see how he sounds. <laughs> it comes out very well, why, why, why fine? But I really have begun and been practicing, and, and my whole, I mean, come, have come back into the swing of things in this area. And I want to say that that I go so far as to say in this period, some people have said no, but I have found the Pacific Coast, especially the Bay Area, uh, vastly different. I found it very different in feeling from some other sections of the United States. Other people have felt this. Many outside people who come near to the United Nations gatherings feel that you are a little more non-hysterical, that you have a little evidently deeper belief in our democratic faith. And I have, I have felt that. I felt that. So much so that I may even come out to sit around for quite a while. Well, we think it's a wonderful city. <laughs> when may we uh, hear you sing in the near future? Well, you're going yeah. to hear me, I hope, on Sunday afternoon, February 9th, at the Oakland Auditorium Theater. It'd be very important. It's the first time I've had a public auditorium in the area for quite some time. It's, uh, it's sponsored by an, uh, a committee in Negro Life and honoring Negro History Week, which, you know, is, has been honored now for some time. And Mr. William Duncan Allen, a very gifted uh, pianist who's, who is uh, accompanying me and who is chairman of the Bach Festival in the Berkeley area, is uh, playing many, uh, some compositions of leading Negro composers. It's an afternoon of music and poetry. I'm reciting some Shakespeare and some Negro and poetry from Negro uh, poets. 
and uh, singing, as I say, music that ranges through all the folk music of the world. And those composers like Bartok and Mussorgsky and Dvorak, who have used the folk idiom in their in their in their extended and more complex works. It sounds as if it will be a delightful afternoon. Well, I hope so. And uh, we are very grateful to you for coming along to KPFA. I'm grateful Good to you. Thank you, Mr. Robson. Welcome back. And uh, that was an interview, rare archival interview with uh, Paul Robson from February of 1958 uh, in the Bay Area of California. And uh, we've been paying tribute uh, to uh, Paul Leroy Robson Sr. on uh, the 46th uh, anniversary of his transition uh, in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We'll take a break. We'll be back. Welcome back. Uh, that was the voice of the legendary Candy Staten, and you're the best thing I ever had. And we're here at the uh, Pan-African Journal, special worldwide radio broadcast uh, for Sunday, uh, January 23rd, 2022. We're broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. We want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in uh, once again to yet another edition of the Pan-African Journal. Right now we want to move into uh, Africa Live from CGTN. Let's listen in. 
This is CGTN, China Global Television Network. And welcome to China Global Television Network. This is The World Today. I'm Beatrice Marshall in Nairobi. Here are your top stories. Russia denies Britain's accusation of a plot to install a pro-Moscow leader in the Ukraine. Cleanup and relief efforts pick up the pace following the Tonga tsunami. And the Saudi-led coalition denies targeting a prison in Yemen's Saada province. Let's begin in the Ukraine, uh, where the situation in Ukraine, Moscow has denied British accusations that it is trying to install a pro-Russian leader in Kiev. Moscow says the UK's claims are disinformation and it is another indication that NATO members are escalating tensions. On Saturday, Britain accused the Kremlin of considering a former Ukrainian lawmaker as a potential candidate to head a pro-Moscow leadership. It says Russian intelligence had talked to former Ukrainian politicians as part of plans for an invasion. But the British Foreign Ministry did not offer evidence to back these claims. Russia has repeatedly denied it had any intention to invade. Top U.S. and Russian diplomats met on Friday in Geneva. The talks ended without a breakthrough, although they agreed to keep talking. The Russian and British defense ministers have reportedly agreed to meet. Political advisors from Russia, the Ukraine, France and Germany will reportedly hold talks next week in Paris. Where well, Russia has slammed the U.S. for publishing a list of what Moscow calls false information about its policy on Ukraine. The Russian foreign ministry called the sheet an overt provocation. The U.S. State Department on Thursday published the list titled Fact versus Fiction, Russian Disinformation on the Ukraine. It came just a day before Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov and U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken met in Geneva. Russia said Washington has been seeking discussions after Moscow sent a draft treaty and agreement on security guarantees in December. The ministry also slammed the U.S. and its allies for depicting Russia as an aggressor and a threat to international stability. German, Germany's Navy chief has resigned after criticism over his comments on Russian President Vladimir Putin and Crimea K. Achim Sternberg on Friday. Uh, and Crimea K. Achim Sternberg on Friday said Putin deserves respect and that Kiev would not win back incorporated Crimea from Moscow. Schoenberg later apologized for his remarks, which were criticized by German Defense Ministry and Ukrainian authorities. Meanwhile, Ukraine's Foreign Minister Dmitry Kuleba has condemned Germany for refusing to provide weapons to Kiev. The U.S., Britain and the Baltic states have agreed to send weapons to the Ukraine, including anti-tank and anti-aircraft missiles. Let's now turn to Tonga, where a massive cleanup effort continues after a devastating tsunami last week. The first relief flights from Australia and New Zealand have arrived at Tonga's international airport, which just reopened. Other governments also deploying ships and flights. 
uh, authorities say a 2G communication service is back on, although restoring full internet services is likely to take a month or more. The Pacific Island nation was hit by a tsunami following an undersea volcanic eruption last Saturday. More than 80% of the population has been affected. Owen Poland reports from New Zealand. A high-ranking Tongan politician that I've spoken to here in Auckland says that Tonga's recovery from this disaster is going to be long-term. And once the water and emergency supplies have been delivered, the island nation is going to have to rebuild. And he says it's going to be a long road to recovery. In terms of the international relief effort, New Zealand already has two Navy vessels in Tonga and a third ship is now on its way with more supplies including water and milk powder and tarpaulins for shelter. Ships from the Royal Australian Navy and Britain's Royal Navy are also on their way and they'll join a US vessel that's also now reached Tonga. So the international community is really pulling together to help out. So far, New Zealand has also sent two emergency flights with humanitarian aid, including food, water, first aid kits and other safety equipment. And a third aircraft is now being prepared to leave within the next few days. Nevertheless, a United Nations coordinator who's on the ground in Tonga says that the resources that they have are not enough and that it's too soon to fully assess the extent of the damage to Tonga's economy. Well, CGTN spoke to a couple who witnessed the terrifying impact of the huge underwater volcanic eruption last Saturday. Yeah, um, Marin, she called me um, to come and pick her up. She just said that the, she, she's having uh, difficulties breathing. And then um, she said that the sea is a bit, it's, it's weird. So when I came, as soon as I left the house, we just seen that there was a big ash cloud, a white one, um, with a volcano. And then, then we just came to the graveyard. As soon as I seen the ocean, I just—I've never seen the ocean like that in my life. Um, the wave was already started to come on the road, and um, I seen just more and more of the oceans um, ready to come in. So I—I I was a bit scared to pick up my wife. So I went down close to Vakalai and I went to scream for her. And then I had um, no response. And then um, my kids were crying. Oh, we're not leaving, Dad. We need Mum. We need Mum to come with us. So I just asked them just to get in the in the car and we left but through the grace of the Lord um, she walked out of Vakaloa and then we just waited for her and then we took off so we took off to Kanukpolu and um, that's where the first bang we heard the volcano exploded um, as soon as we got to Kanukpolu the people were just looking and I was just smiling and we just I just said to them that the ocean the ocean's already um, it's already coming it's hake the tahi the tahi is hake in Vakaloa and my wife is screaming in English Tsunami, everyone! Tsunami! Get out! Get out! Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think. Well, people were just living their daily life. Really, they didn't even know that the sea was coming. Like they didn't know there's a tsunami. And now to Yemen. The Saudi-led coalition has denied targeting a prison inside the province this week. It said the facility hit on Friday was not restricted from airstrikes. The attacks reportedly killed more than 70 people. The coalition said the deaths would be investigated. The coalition has been fighting the Houthi group since 2015. The coalition has intensified airstrikes on what it says are Houthi military targets after the group on Monday carried out an unprecedented assault on coalition member the United Arab Emirates on Monday. And we'll have more updates on this story on Africa Live coming up shortly.
The Chinese mainland has reported 19 new locally transmitted cases of COVID-19. Of the 19 infections, nine were reported in the capital, Beijing. With just 12 days to go before the Beijing Winter Olympics officially opens, entry into the capital has been tightened. Travelers to the capital must show a negative COVID-19 test taken within 48 hours before entry, and they must be tested again within 20, uh, 72 hours upon arrival. The port city of Tianjin has logged five new cases. The southern province of Guangdong has reported three. In central China, the province of Henan is closer to containing its outbreak, reporting just one new case in Anyang. One infection was detected in southwestern Yunnan province. And turning now to the coronavirus pandemic in the United States, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention says almost all new infections in the country are of the Omicron variant. Data also suggests the number of Omicron cases has peaked in the U.S.'s eastern states, while new cases in the West Coast and the South continue to rise. Ike Harper reports now from Washington. Well, some encouraging news when you look at the national picture. We are beginning to see cases drop right across the United States, uh, currently at around 720,000 new cases each day compared to more than 800,000 uh, just over a week ago. Here in the east of the country, that data suggesting that the Omicron uh, variant has peaked, but in the west and in the south, we're still continuing to see cases rise uh, and also deaths, more than 2,000 a day in total, which is still a very high number. Hospitals saying that they are struggling. Many ICU wards across the country are saying that they are full. Well, the Food and Drug Administration is doing more to try and combat this. They're expanding the use of remdesivir, an antiviral drug that's been used up until now to treat the sickest patients, those who have already been hospitalized. But the FDA is now expanding it so that at-risk patients who have not yet been hospitalized uh, will also be able to use remdesivir. Other changes that we're seeing from the CDC, they're changing some of the language that they're using. Uh, they will be pivoting away from the use of fully vaccinated. They're saying that that term has now become confusing as more and more people are getting booster shots. Here's the CDC director, Rochelle Walensky, explaining it. And what we really are working to do is pivot the language to make sure that everybody is, is as up to date with their COVID-19 vaccines as they personally could be, should be, based on when they got their last vaccine. That means if you recently got your second dose, you're not eligible for a booster, you're up to date. If you are eligible for a booster and you haven't gotten it, you're not up to date and you need to get your booster in order to be up to date. Another change from Saturday, any travelers, essential or non-essential, entering the U.S. Uh, by either land or sea will have to show that they are fully vaccinated. From November, uh, we already had non-essential travelers having to show that proof, but now that's being expanded to essential travelers. The U.S. government says that's all about trying to keep people here in the U.S. safer. But there is a fear that the anti-COVID drugs that the virus may be able to mutate and get around that new medicine. Uh, in particular, the drugs that have been produced by Merck and Pfizer that have been approved uh, for use. We could see the virus mutate, but at this stage, the companies are saying that in their trials, they didn't see any drug resistance being built up. They don't think that that is something that people should be worrying about, but still, scientists are putting that alert out there. 
And yet, even though we've got all of these new medicines, the vaccines, there is still a continuing threat, sometimes, from people in the United States. There has been, over the course of the last few days, an incident in Virginia where a mother went to a school board meeting and threatened to bring guns to school if officials didn't stop making her children wear masks while in the classroom. This woman threatening to bring every single gun loaded and ready. She later had to apologise, clarifying that when she said guns, she didn't mean firearms per se, but rather just resources in general. Even so, she was arrested and charged, and she could spend up to a year in jail for threatening to bring firearms to school property. Nick Harper, CGTN, Washington. And that is it on this edition of The World Today. I'll be back shortly with more news on Africa Live. Thank you for watching. GTN, China Global Television Network. Burkina Faso government denies that the army has seized power. The Arab League meets in Cairo over how the rebel attacks in Abu Dhabi. 
and Ghana blast a survivor's recall ordeal following Thursday's deadly explosion that killed 13 people. Welcome to Africa Live on CGTN with me, Beatrice Marshall in Nairobi. Also coming up on the program. In sports, FIFA holds Africa's final round draw for the 2022 World Cup qualifiers. And we begin with a developing story out of Burkina Faso. Gunfire was reported Sunday morning in several military barracks in the capital, Ouagadougou. The government has confirmed the reports of gunfire. It denied, however, reports circulating on social media of a military takeover. In a statement by the government spokesperson, authorities called for calm. This comes just after hundreds of protesters marched through the capital on Saturday. Demonstrators barricaded streets and threw rocks as they called for the resignation of President Rush Mark Christian Kabore. Security forces used a tear gas in an effort to disperse the demonstrators. Protesters also voiced their opposition to the latest round of sanctions imposed on Mali by ECOWAS. We are protesting against the sanctions of ECOWAS against Mali. We have to renounce the unfair sanctions by ECOWAS and stage an international protest for that. President Roch Kabore must leave. We are all agreeing about that. We believe that the governance is catastrophic, catastrophic on all levels and mainly in the security domain. Well, let's get more on this developing story. I'm joined from Ouagadougou by Lucien Kambo Malba, a journalist based in Burkina Faso. Lucien, there are reports of gunfire in military barracks uh, over there in Burkina Faso. What do we know so far? What are you hearing? Uh, hello. Hello, everybody. Uh, today, since 4 a.m., we have been hearing gunfires in Ouagadougou, especially in Babasi Camp and, and Camp Sambulela Mizana. According to the government, the president is not arrested, he's still free. And uh, there are some uh, militaries who are unhappy about something, and they are sorting the rules camps. And right now, what I can say is that people are still uh, on their work, things are going. But uh, the, the minister of the army just had a talk where we invited everybody in Bay to continue life because our military uh, they are they will they will they will be addressing uh, the, the senior minister the senior officers of uh, of the army and things will be well soon. That's what they said. And right now, I, uh, before I before the call, I was seeing that the data is turned off. Then there is no data in Burkina Faso right now. And I called some friends. That was uh, they noticed they do they do not also have uh, data for connection right now. All right, Lucien Kambo Malba joining us there from Burkina Faso. Thank you. Well, Guinea's junta on Saturday set up an 80-member council to act as a parliament during the country's transition to elections. This follows a coup in September that ousted President Alpha Conde. The body, known as the National Transitional Council, will be led by a prominent civil society activist and election expert, Dansa Kuruma. It will be tasked with agreeing on the date for the next elections. Conde's overthrow was condemned by Guinea's neighbors and international partners. It led to its suspension from the African Union and the Regional Economic Community of West African State ECOWAS. And now to Yemen. The Saudi-led coalition has denied targeting a prison inside the province this week. It said the facility hit on Friday was not restricted from airstrikes. The attacks reportedly killed more than 70 people. 
The coalition said the deaths would be investigated. The coalition has been fighting the Houthi group since 2015. The coalition has intensified airstrikes on what it says are Houthi military targets after the group on Monday carried out an unprecedented assault on coalition member, the United Arab Emirates, on Monday. While the Arab League is holding an emergency meeting to discuss a recent attack by Houthi rebels in Yemen on the UAE, the meeting will be held at the request of the UAE and other Arab countries. Ambassador Ahmed al-Bakr, the Kuwaiti delegate to the Cairo-based League, has said. Al-Bakr, whose country is the current chair of the Pan-Arab body, said the meeting will discuss this week's terrorist Houthi attack on Abu Dhabi. Let's discuss this further now with Adel Mahroui. He's joining us from Cairo. Adel, what's the latest from Cairo on this? Um, the meeting, the emergency meeting of the Arab League has started about an hour ago. It is attended by the permanent delegates in Cairo, those who represent all of the 22 Arab nations, the member states in the Pan-Arab Organization. Um, throughout um, their statements, taking one by one to represent each country, um, so far it appears that we have unanimous uh, rejection to the Houthi attack uh, against the UAE, the terrorist attack as they all describe it. And there is a stance so far that appears to be also unanimous, a strong stance to support um, security and stability in the UAE and um, highlight or display that any instability or any attacks against the UAE affects the entire national security of the Arab world. Um, these statements came from the countries like Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Lebanon and more. So it seems that by the end of the meeting uh, there's going to be a unanimous um, resolution from all 22 Arab states to condemn this attack from the Houthis against the UAE um, terrorist attack and using um, allegedly drones inside um, the territories of the United Arab Emirates maybe for the first time. And therefore, um, the resolution will probably be taking a lot of steps in terms of condemning and um, showing solidarity with the UAE, but we're not expecting any further steps or actions to be taken from the Arab members. All right, Adam Mahroui joining us there from Cairo. Thank you. Well, let's now head to Ghana, where a satellite images released on Saturday showed the scale of destruction in Apiati village, western Ghana, where a truck carrying explosives to a gold mine detonated, killing at least 13 people Thursday. It was not immediately clear what caused the accident, but police say a motorcycle crashed into the truck, then caught fire. A government state, uh, statement suggests a roadside power transformer could have also played a role in the explosion. The truck was owned by a Spanish company called Maxim. According to police, it was transporting explosives to the Chirano gold mine run by Toronto-based Kinross Gold Corporation. Meanwhile, residents of Apiate village are still in shock following that deadly blast on Thursday in the country's southwestern mining region. A motorbike rammed into a truck which eventually burst into flames in the incident. At least 13 people were killed and nearly 200 others were injured. CGTN's Mohamed Abubakar has the details. Nancy Nyarko says she was preparing porridge at her roadside stall when she heard a loud noise nearby. She recalls seeing a motorbike colliding with a large truck and eventually bursting into flames. The truck stopped and the driver got out and started waving. The fire continued to blaze. I saw the driver pushing the gate open, and when he got out, he ran to the shop 
and told the people to get out. I could not hear him from where I was, but I could see him gesturing for people to leave, and so I decided to leave. The truck is said to be owned by a Spanish company called Maxim. It contained 10 tons of explosives that were to be used to blast rocks at the Chirano gold mine. The blast has claimed the lives of about 13 people, and at least 200 more have been injured. I climbed on top of a heap of sand to get a better view of the fire, where I spoke with the driver as he tried to call the fire service. He kept saying something was about to happen. We called and called, but by the time they came, the worst had already happened. It is said that the truck was on fire for 45 minutes before the blast. Authorities, however, have not responded to those claims. Residents are now worried about the enforcement of safety regulations governing the transportation of dangerous materials, as well as the speed and effectiveness of the authorities' response to such emergencies. Mohamed Abubakar, CGTN. To South Africa now, where a new study in the Western Cape has shown that the Omicron-driven fourth wave caused fewer deaths than previous ones. According to the study, this is due to high rates of past infections as well as the reduced risk of severe disease and death owing to the variant itself. More than 5,000 adult COVID-19 patients were observed during one month of the fourth wave during the research. CGTN Stravas Andrews has more. Now that South Africa is slowly exiting the Omicron-driven COVID-19 fourth wave, more is being discovered about the variant. In the Western Cape, a new study has shown that Omicron caused fewer deaths and hospitalizations than previous variants in earlier infection waves, and this is due to a number of facts. Essentially, there, there are three main reasons that we could see different disease outcomes. The first is that the kind of people being infected with COVID might be different. So perhaps they're younger, perhaps they're people with fewer comorbidities. So when we do the comparison, we need to take that into account. The second thing is that we know that over time, immunity has been increasing for two reasons. One, because we now have a vaccine program and so many people are vaccinated. And the second is because we've had these three very severe previous waves and so many people have been infected and have immunity. Researchers also found out that the Omicron variant itself is less deadly, even though it is better able to penetrate protection offered by vaccination. Omicron was associated with hospitalization or death in 8% of the cases examined in the study, compared to 16% in the previous waves. Omicron indeed causes less severe disease or is less virulent, but the virus itself is not as bad. And we know that there are quite a few laboratory studies now that suggest that uh, Omicron uh, replicates more easily in the upper airways and doesn't replicate nearly as easily in lung tissue and so is less likely to cause severe COVID pneumonia, which is, has been the predominant feature of the previous wave. Even with lockdown strategies in place, the study also found that 38% of those infected in the fourth wave were fully vaccinated but at a much lower risk of dying or being hospitalized. Health professionals here say the best way to protect against Omicron is to get vaccinated and that that along with natural infection will prevent people from ending up with severe disease, as seen in the first few waves. That's Andrew CGTN, Cape Town. You're watching Africa Live, still ahead on the program. A new report says at least 1.5 million children in eastern and southern Africa lack a treatment for malnutrition.
Welcome back, and uh, that was uh, a rundown of some of the top uh, news stories uh, of the day uh, from Africa and indeed around the world. And uh, you've been listening to uh, the Pan-African Journal, the special worldwide radio broadcast. That's going to conclude our program uh, for today, uh, Sunday, January 23rd, 2022, and we're broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. We want to remind our listeners that if you'd like to uh, have access to today's uh, program, uh, to listen to it again, to share with other potential listeners, just go to the Pan-African Radio Network. That's at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. And the programs can be shared with other potential listeners via emails, uh, blogs and websites, as well as social media networks such as Facebook and Twitter. This is, um, of course, our closing out um, recordings uh, for today, uh, Grant Green's trio, taken from the album Iron City from 1967. This is Abayomi Azikawe signing off, and have a beautiful, beautiful week.